0: Our scripture today comes from Ephesians four twenty six through five two. Be angry and do not sin, do not let the sun go down on your anger, and give no opportunity to the devil, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender hearted, Forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Thank you, Mrs. Pace. Maybe be helpful, particularly that last sentence there, that last little phrase rather. Um where Paul says, walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Um, hopefully, that stood out. And hopefully, you can kind of keep that in your back pocket as we continue today, because I think it might be somewhat um, not only important, but just helpful for us as we think through um, what we're going to discuss this afternoon. So again, good afternoon. My name is Chaz. If you have not met me, I usually am doing what Kyler did this afternoon. I Typically, am leading the music here. Um, and then every once in a while, I get to do this. And so I say it every time, but it is a, a joy and a privilege to open God's Word with you all. Um, and I've been particularly excited to be able to do it this summer, because I've got to do it quite often this summer, um, and we've been in this series. For those of you that haven't been with us, we've been looking at the Ten Commandments over the summer months. Um, and actually, if it's going to be hard for you to believe we're only halfway through the Ten Commandments. I don't know about you guys, but it feels like we've been in the Ten Commandments forever in a day. Um, but no, we are just now at the Command Six, so that means we're halfway through, essentially. Um, and so I was and have been very excited to preach several times over the course of the summer um, as we've been going through the Ten Commandments until this week. And now I am like, oh my gosh, what have I got into? I don't know. Maybe Dylan, Jeremy can, can speak into this, but you know, months ago when we were kind of planning this series and the three of us met and we were talking about who's going to preach what. And some of it was kind of logistical, technical, who'd be in town, who'd be out of town. Some of it was kind of, hey, which one do you want? You, know, you, you pick. You know, kind of a fantasy draft or so of like the Ten Commandments or something. I have no idea why I ended up on this week, or how I got pegged to do the commandment, do not murder. Um, And to all of you, you think, that's super simple. Like, what's so hard about do not murder? Like, everybody knows that that um, is is an easy one to talk about and to preach on, and so what's the problem? And now here I am, so many weeks later, um, just nervous out of my genes because... uh, well, I'll just level with you. Today, we get to talk about, in not too many ways, or I should say, um, in not so many words, rather, um, everyone's favorite subjects, subjects that are not controversial whatsoever, that everyone agrees about, that has you know, not divided our country or anything, that doesn't draw party lines, or um, you know, things that are just, for the most part, we have some sort of consensus about as Americans, things like abortion, suicide, Medically assisted suicide and euthanasia, the death penalty, and just for funsies, the Christian understanding of ethics of the violence, of the of violence and of just war. Um, because when you take up the sixth commandment, do not murder, all of these things are kind of in play in some way. Um, now, obviously, I'm not going to discuss all of those things explicitly or directly this afternoon. Um, But how I just want to point out here at the beginning that in some way or another, those controversial, rather volatile, subjects um, are kind of addressed by what we'll see in the Sixth Commandment today. In other words, I just want to suggest that perhaps the decisions that we make about such things, the values that we express in the conclusions that we reach about such things, and yes, even the policy that we advocate, that when it comes to thinking through such things, if we have not considered what the Sixth Commandment might say or mean, then we have perhaps not done our due diligence. Now, again, I'm not going to say anything today that is meant to draw any definitive conclusions about such things, but I also think there are some pretty hard lines that, as Christians, we can and maybe ought to draw when it comes to things like do not murder. Um, because, even if only indirectly, the Sixth Commandment, um, as I've already said, has a ton to say about those things. Um, so, along the way, we'll touch on a few of those, and um, I, I even thought about bringing like a bell just to like lighten the mood as like brevity, that like every time I say something about one of those things, I could like tap the bell or something, just to kind of, so that it wouldn't be too like somber in here. Um, but that is where we're at, Sixth Commandment. Do not murder. And what I hope that we'll see this afternoon um, is by the time we're through, hopefully we'll, we'll understand that the Sixth Commandment is really less about the act of killing and much more about how we care for and protect life and the value that God places on life, particularly human life, but not only human life, in fact. So hopefully we'll see that over the course of the afternoon. You see, I think we often approach the Sixth Commandment in kind of one of two ways. And Tell me if this sounds at all right. This is just my conjecture, there's no, nothing to back this up, but as I've thought about it, I thought, on the one hand, say, the right hand, we tend to ask hypothetical questions. We ask questions about the Sixth Commandment that go like this. What kinds of killing are permitted? Exactly what is the command restricting us from doing? We just need to know when and where killing is permitted because we kind of assume that there are instances, right, where killing is okay. We just need to know when and where. Is Is killing in self-defense okay? What about killing animals for food? What about capital punishment? What about killing in wartime? After all, doesn't God send the Israelites to war against the pagan nations? Isn't that what the whole book of Joshua is about? Now, on the other hand, say, the left hand, we look at the sixth word, and we jump rather quickly ahead to see just what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount about murder and anger. And we psychologize the sixth word, and we make it all about anger and hatred and contempt. And once we have it all kind of sorted out, And we've assured ourselves that, you know, while we do get angry sometimes, we would never kill a person in cold blood. And so we conclude that the sixth word is saying that killing is always wrong, without exception. After all, Jesus tells us to turn the other cheek, right? And often, but not always, these two approaches, they tend to exclude each other to some degree. And in a sense, this is because they both presuppose their own conclusions. Of course, neither approach is wrong, but I want to suggest that these approaches, while most of us kind of have some mixed bag of both, um, they only go halfway, and they fail to express what I find and what I believe our scriptures will say is the very real and pronounced value and concern for life, which is at the heart of the sixth commandment. And so what I'd like to do this afternoon is try and look at the sixth word, from both of those perspectives. Because I don't think they are quite as mutually exclusive as they sound. And instead, I want to consider the sixth word under the following four headings. And so just for good old-fashioned alliterative sake, we will use these, like V for Vendetta. You all ever saw that? So anyways, um, speaking of murder, the sixth word, we'll look at four categories, or four headings, rather, the verb, the vice, the value, and the virtue. So first up on the docket, the verb. So quickly I want to say something about the word that is used here in the Decalogue, Exodus 20, verse 13, in case you're following along in the scripture. Um, some of your translations will have it um, rendered as murder. Others, maybe it will just it will say just the more generic to kill. Um, And this may seem pedantic to some of you, but I actually think this is kind of important. In Hebrew, the the original Hebrew, uh, the command is just two words. Lo, which is this negation, which basically is where we get the not or the do not, and this word ratzak, which can mean murder, but it can also just mean the more generic term to kill, and it could also be rendered just this other weird word that we have in our language called manslay, or manslaughter, where we get the word manslaughter from. But of course, your translators probably didn't use that, because that would just sound weird. Do not manslay. Like, what does that mean? It just sounds odd. Um, an example of this is Numbers chapter 35, um, which we'll look at here in a little bit, but this, this verb, ratsak, it's all over um, Numbers chapter 35. And sometimes it means the intentional, premeditated, purposeful act of killing, and other times it is discussing the accidental or negligent killing. And So if you were to turn to Numbers 35, you would see that sometimes it'll have it as murder, sometimes it'll say manslayer, sometimes it'll say kill, and it it just has all these different ways of translating, depending on what kind of killing is under discussion. So again, um, this may feel pedantic. Why does this matter? Why the word study? Just kind of nerdy, I guess, but um, I think it does matter because if we think that this um, sixth word only speaks to what we today call murder, or if we think it only applies to that which is results from hate or rage or enmity, then I think we truncate the full force of the command in its original context and even the context that it gets picked up in picked up from later by Jesus and the New Testament authors because the command rather than murder is much more expansive especially if we think about how this command do not murder or do not manslay is reflected in the rest of the Mosaic law sometimes i tend to do this i imagine maybe some of you do as well we think about like the torah and the pentateuch and you know these original or these kind of beginning five books of the Bible, and we look at the the Levitical law there, the Mosaic law there, and we think it's like super archaic and unsophisticated. Um, Maybe that's just me, um, but I tend to approach it with the assumption that it's just simple and brutish and old. But if you actually read it, it's actually extremely complex and nuanced. And if you were to compare it to other ancient law codes of its day, it would stand out as quite sophisticated, and it would be kind of ahead of its time in many regards. And so this may be one reason that you skip Leviticus, or you fall asleep when you're reading Numbers or parts of Deuteronomy or the back half of Exodus, because unless you like reading law code, I know some of you may, but unless you really like reading law code, it should be boring, because that's what it is. So it's no surprise that we don't like those portions of Scripture. So for example, um, as an example of how this is rather sophisticated in a way, um, there's one way in which the Sixth Commandment gets elaborated in the rest of the Mosaic Law, and the the law ends up making all these distinctions that we also make about kinds of killing, um, which in fact, it's where we get our own law code from in some respects. So for example, consider this. The ancient law of uh, the Mosaic law, Israelite law, prohibited, premeditated, intentional um, killing. It's what we would call murder. It also prohibited intentional but unpremeditated killing. So this is what we would today call voluntary manslaughter. Or sometimes it goes under like a crime of passion. So this is intentional. You meant to do it, but you didn't premeditate to do it. It just kind of happened in the heat of a moment, say, in a bar fight or something. I don't don't know how else to really explain that. Um, But the Mosaic Law also goes on to prohibit unintentional and unpremeditated killing, or what we would call involuntary manslaughter. So this example of this would be someone who kills someone while driving drunk, right? You didn't intend to kill somebody. You didn't premeditate to kill somebody. But somehow, you killed somebody. These all were in play. These kinds of killing acts were all um, accounted for in the uh, Israelite law. There was a distinction between death that came by accident and death that was motivated by hatred. And yet, both violated the principle of the sixth word. It wasn't just what we would today call murder, all of these were kind of included in the taking of life. So, for example, this is kind of funny if you ask me, it was considered a violation of the Sixth Commandment if you neglected to build a fence on top of your house and someone accidentally fell off your roof and they died. I think we have a slide for this. This comes from Deuteronomy uh, chapter 22. Says, when you build a house, you shall make a parapet on your roof, like a a barrier, a guardrail, basically, that you may not bring the guilt of blood upon your house if anyone should fall from it. So here, the law obviously is taking account of accidental but negligent types of killing. In fact, the law is very specific on, like, kind of establishing, um, and some of you may have heard of this before, but um, what they called refuge cities, which were meant to kind of guard and protect people from precisely these kinds of accidents or these times kinds of killing. and so refuge cities were places where people could go if they had accidentally manslaughtered, not necessarily in the heat of the moment, not necessarily you know premeditated, but had accidentally killed someone so that they could have safe Refuge, so the name goes, while the rest of the community worked out just exactly what had happened. So this comes from Numbers 35 that I mentioned earlier. You shall select cities to be cities of refuge for you, that the manslayer who kills any person without intent may flee there. The city shall be for you a refuge from the avenger, that the manslayer may not die until he stands before the congregation for judgment. But if he pushed him out of hatred or hurled something at him, lying in wait so that he died, or an enmity struck him down with his hand so that he died, then he shall be put to death, for he is a murderer. Now, my guess is some of us read this. And the only thing we see in that whole thing is not kind of the grace or the the accommodation of someone who may or may not be guilty of murder being given kind of a fair trial or a fair hearsay. Um, Instead, some of us, just with our Western sensibilities, just see only the capital punishment that's tagged on at the end. Then he shall be put to death. He is a murderer. But I think there's another way to read this, which is to see it as it is meant to protect the life of the person who has accidentally killed another person. So the sixth word, therefore, it's not merely a prohibition against the impassioned act of murder in cold blood. In some way, it also f- forbids accidental negligent killing, which is what the refuge cities were meant to protect, uh, protect against or protect for. Again, which suggests that the, fifth, the sixth word may be more about protecting and valuing life, not about taking it. So this will bring just to one final point or this kind of first heading. Of the verb, getting into the kind of the, I don't know, boring linguistics of it all. Um, the verb used here in 20, Exodus 2013, the kind of killing that is in view here, given everything that we've said so far, is what we might call unjust, unlawful, immoral or unauthorized killing. And so as we've seen, within the larger context of the Mosaic law, it begins to answer some of the hypothetical questions that I mentioned earlier that I said, you know, on the one hand, we just ask all these hypothetical questions about what kinds of killing are allowed or permissible. And I actually think, by looking at the word, we kind of see what kinds of killings are included and excluded. And I think what we see is it's not necessarily a call to complete or absolute pacifism. And maybe some of this doesn't need explaining to you all. Maybe some of you just understand this or were raised in a tradition that taught this. Um, but I don't think that's what the Sixth Commandment is advocating. As Peter Lighthart, a biblical scholar, points out, Scripture treats the death penalty as just, especially in cases of murder. We'll see that come up again a bit later. War is permissible in some circumstances. As again, we'll see that come up later on in the story of Israel. And the Israelites were permitted to kill under restricted conditions to defend their homes as we'll see in just a few chapters, just on the other side of Sinai. Now, again, I just give you a biblical scholar and a quotation and just kind of assert a bunch of stuff. And so I know for some of you that may be unsatisfactory. Um, And I know this is certainly much more complicated than that. And of course, as we've already mentioned, given some of the things that Jesus will say a bit later in the New Testament, there are certainly knots here that need to be untangled. That's not what this sermon is necessarily about. But I will just say this quickly. Um, I do think, perhaps, that for people like us, or I should just say people like myself, who have been raised and brought up in a safe, secure, privileged place like the United States, that I do think it is rather easy for us to read the Bible and reach the conclusion that it does teach some form of pacifism. However, supposing that you live somewhere else, or that you were raised somewhere else, or that you grew up in a different country, suppose you lived in a country like Nigeria, for example, where more Christians are killed than any other country in the world, according to one organization, almost 9 out of 10 of the more than 5,600 Christians that were murdered worldwide in 2022 were from Nigeria. My guess is if you lived there, my guess is that you lived in a country like Nigeria or in a war-torn country like Ukraine or Syria, that the call or the way that we find pacifism and the teachings of Jesus, you might feel a bit differently. But again, I can just, I'm just making assertions, so you can take that um, for what you want. But I'm going to keep moving on because, again... Some of you may feel like that's just old news and obvious, but others, that may ruffle your feathers, and I'm not here to decide which. So second category, second heading, the vice. So the vice of the sixth word. So again, I feel like in some ways we've kind of answered a bit of the questions that we talk about with permitted killings. We've seen that the law code kind of allows for certain kind of killings, protects um, the actors of certain kinds of killings, but also keeps accountable. Um, the other and unlawful and immoral and unauthorized kinds of killings. That it extends beyond just sheer acts of murder. But I also mentioned in the beginning um, that there is this, we still have to deal with murder. We still have to deal with what Jesus says about anger and murder and hatred being somehow um, interconnected. And so it would be easy at this point to just simply go to the Sermon on the Mount. See what Jesus says there precisely, about anger and murder. You have heard it said, do not murder, but I tell you. But I'm actually not going to do that. And the reason that um, I'm not going to do that uh, is I'm actually kind of trying to draw something, something different, slightly out, or something slightly different out from the Sixth Commandment. And it won't contradict anything that Jesus says, um, obviously, um, but it is somewhat adjacent, because my focus is a bit different. And, in case you're, again, unsatisfied, we will be in the Sermon on the Mount later this fall, and so Jeremy can clean up the mess that I'm making here today and everything that I'm saying. He can correct all of that. So having said all of that, um, I do think, regarding Jesus, what Jesus says on the Sermon on the Mount about murder and anger, I do think that many of us assume that what Jesus says there was somehow radically new, that it just kind of comes out of left field, as if, when Jesus says that murder and anger are equated, that that was new. But, and again, this isn't isn't at all to um, throw shade at Jesus by any means, but it's not new, and it was already anticipated in the Levitical law. Levitical 19 says, You shall not do injustice in judgment. You shall not show partiality to the poor, nor give preference to the great, but you are to judge your neighbor fairly. In context, what this is referring to is the judgment among witnesses that, have, that are trying to accuse someone of murder or manslaughter. You shall not go uh, about as a slanderer, uh, slanderer among your people, and you are not to jeopardize the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. You are not to jeopardize the life, let alone take it Intentionally. So think about what we said earlier about the cities of refuge and judging truthfully in cases of manslaughter. In other words, don't do or say anything that might lead to the wrongful death of your neighbor. Do not slander him. Do not call him a fool. Do not accuse him of murder unlawfully. This will come up later in the Ten Commandments, in fact. Do none of these things without cause. But, interestingly, then look at the very next verse. Leviticus 19, 16. You shall not hate your fellow countrymen in your heart. You may certainly rebuke your neighbor, but you are not to incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance nor hold any grudge against the sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So when Jesus pairs anger and murder together in the New Testament later, it's nothing new. It's been there the whole time. In fact, the Levitical law is not even the first place that this shows up in the scriptures. As it turns out, murder and anger are paired together very early on in our story. In Genesis 4, the famous story of Cain and Abel, we read this. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. Will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. So here it was Cain's anger that led him to kill his brother. But the division... The separation, the fracture in this relationship, as all of you will know if you've ever been in a fight or been angry at someone, or if you have siblings, as all of you will know, the fracture in the relationship began much earlier. And it was already um, there was already distance between these two brothers before the act of physically killing his brother. And it was the anger that turned to contempt, that first created such a separation between these two brothers. We intuitively, I think, recognize that taking another person's life is wrong. Again, as I mentioned earlier, like thinking about preaching on this, it just seemed like it would be kind of, you know, a softball, no problem. But I wonder if we all realize, I know it's hard for me to kind of see this, I wonder if we realize just how much it grieves the heart of the Father when we find ourselves trapped in cycles of anger and bitterness and resentment, cycles of contempt and hate, cycles and patterns of thinking and behaving which literally kill us, which destroy our very capacity for life and relationship, which cut us off from one another. Again, I'm sure none of us have actually ever killed another person. I don't know all of you, but I'm assuming um, many of you have not. But, I do know, without exception in this room, and I say that pretty confidently, many of us have acted out of anger, contempt, bitterness. Many of us in the last week. Because if life is meant to be lived together, with others, if it is not good that man should be alone. If life is meant to be lived together with and for others, then just like Cain, just like the times when we find ourselves angry at one another, it is these instances when we distance ourselves from one another through hate and contempt where we diminish the very capacity to live. That is, we take life, the very thing that the sixth word forbids. <clears throat> Think also about what God tells Cain. He says, sin is crouching at your door. Its desire is contrary to you. Its desire is to consume you, to eat you, to kill you. You must rule over it before it destroys you. In other words, the taking of life doesn't merely begin with the physical act of murder, and it doesn't really even begin with the, phys- or the, the relational disruption that happens between two people. The taking of life begins in the heart of the one who is angry. It originates in a heart that allows a wound, which first began as anger, to then fester and to become poisonous, toxic, to become a putrefaction of hatred and contempt. That's where the killing begins. Not with the slain, but with the murderer. Not with the hated, but with the hater. Because once hatred and contempt have infected our soul, we literally die quicker. And this isn't just folk-like wisdom. Uh, I don't think he's here today. Nope, Wes isn't here today. But um, the science is in. The research is here. The data has been um, assessed and verified. The scientists and the doctors all agree. Chronic anger literally kills you. It increases your risk of coronary disease, heart attacks, of stroke, hypertension. It weakens your immune system and it even decreases your lung capacity due to inflammation caused in your respiratory system. It is a widely acknowledged medical fact that anger decreases your lifespan. And I think this is the connection with anger and murder that we often overlook. And I know for myself, I don't pay that much attention to Um, especially as it relates to the value and protection of life, which I think the sixth word expresses. Because anger, like murder, if it goes unchecked, literally takes life. So the sixth word, in a way, prohibits this just as much as it does literally killing someone. So, I've mentioned it a few times, moving on to the next heading, the value. So if we were to turn just a few pages over from the Cain and Abel story, and we were to arrive at the story of Noah and the flood, on the other side of the flood, in Genesis chapter 9, God says the following to Noah. So just imagine the scene. Uh, Noah's been on the ark for however long. You know, they finally found land. They've just kind of come off the land. Um, everybody's excited, you can imagine, right? And then God comes to them and says this. <clears throat> Where did I want to start reading? I'll start writing, reading right here. Um, I may not have the exact slides up there, Amber, but I'm going to start reading here. He says this. Um, Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. But you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. And this is what I want us to cue in on. And for your lifeblood, I will require a reckoning. From every beast, I will require it, and from man. From this, from his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of man. And then God says, whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. There's that capital punishment stuff again. For God made man in his own image. Again, some of our sensibilities chafe a bit at the notion of capital punishment or um, what is later comes to be known as lex talionis. I don't know how many people have heard that, but it literally just translated um, means like appropriate uh, retaliation. And it is spelled out later in the Torah. You guys will recognize this. Um, It's life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, right? Deuteronomy 19.21. And again, some of us, this just sounds brutish. Surely Jesus changes this. Surely this is not still uh, you know, active in some way. But I also just want to keep in mind, the principle of this appropriate retaliation, or lex talionis, is actually still employed in our justice system today. Because the main point of it is that the punishment should fit the crime. That's, that's mainly what it's trying to convey. So we have laws, similarly to ensure that the punishment fits the crime. There should be no cruel and unusual punishment. And to be sure, it's probably not hard for any of us to imagine that um, before this became kind of instilled in the minds and the cultures um, of the Near East, um, there was a time when it was probably rather common for the retaliation to not match the crime. you know, you took a head for a tooth, or you took an entire family for a life. So in some ways, this principle, when it was originally um, kind of distributed, was somewhat radical idea. And again, it represents what I've been calling this value for life, because it is really meant to guard against any unnecessary or excessive taking of life. Also, I think it's important for us to remember that the passage from Genesis chapter 9 comes, as I've mentioned, right in the middle of God's covenant with Noah, where he says he will never again flood the earth. comes just before he gives us the sign of the rainbow. And so the immediate context of this passage has everything to do with God's commitment to life, not his commitment to taking it. It has everything to do with his commitment to life, with protecting it, with preserving it, and with keeping it. It also clues us into why it is exactly that life, particularly human life, is so distinct, so valued, and so marked out as somehow different. He says, whoever sheds the blood of man, by man his blood shall be shed. For God made man in his own image. Now, I know most of us don't need a justification for why killing is wrong. It's just kind of something we take as a given. But this here is the rationale behind the Sixth Commandment. It's not just some humanistic um, premise. No, we do not murder. Why? Because human beings are made in the image of God. Human life, therefore, is somehow sacred. It is special, unique, distinct, peculiar, different. Later, Jesus will say, look at the flowers, look at the sparrows. You see how God cares for them how much more will he care for you in your life? And I quote, Are you of not much more value than they? Or later in another place, Jesus tells his disciples, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs on your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Now, by the way, in all of this, and things that Jesus says later, and even in the Noahic covenant about the image of God. In both instances, and all throughout Scripture, it is not um, our Scriptures do not teach that God's priority towards human life is at the exclusion of plant and animal life. So this is where maybe this gets a little weird for some of us, but God values and cares for the life of animals and plants as well which means we also have a responsibility towards creation. So there's a sense in which, and again, this is just Chaz speaking, not on any kind of authoritative necessarily scriptural basis, but I do think there is a sense in which many of the principles and prohibitions contained in the sixth commandment, do not murder or do not take life unnecessarily, might be said to extend into how we value, protect, and care for the life of not only humans, but of all God's creation. But again, that's kind of an aside, leave that over there. But it is explicitly and specifically the image of God which distinguishes the human being from the rest of creation, which is why the value of human life is so central to the sixth word. The Imago Dei is the fact that every single human being, regardless of their gender, race, ethnicity, education, income, age, or ability, regardless of where they come from or who they vote for, or whether they are old or young, infirm, disabled, emotionally or psychologically disturbed, terminally ill or genetically predisposed, in each and every instance they reflect something about God, of his image. And this is what makes them valuable and significant and distinct. And this, as we just read, is why humans are and why This is why human life is considered sacred. And it has nothing to do with capacity or capability or faculties. It is not even a matter of rationality or consciousness. The image of God is a common grace given to all human beings. It is unmerited and unfavored. It is not earned, and it is not something that is brought about by any human volition or action. It is simply a fact of life, a given, a free gift, a grace. And this is what makes things like suicide, assisted or otherwise, such an offense to God. It does violence both to his image, and it rejects the very gift of life itself. In a way, it is a double violation of the sixth word. The image of God explains why we are not to kill out of anger or or despair, but it also explains why we should do everything in our power to protect and preserve the life of our neighbor. Why we should build fences on the top of our houses, for instance. The biblical calculus is the image of God. We're reaching the end. um, But this, this, this thing, the image of God, it stands quite... Um, in contrast to the utilitarian ethic which is so dominant in our world today. We don't often value life in the same way that perhaps people have throughout history. It is no longer set apart. It is no longer set as distinct. It is instead just another random grouping of electron and molecules, product of chance with no peculiar. Peculiar reality of its own. Human life is merely placed in the mix with other values. It is subjected to other criteria. The equation has changed. The calculus is different. Our society, and I'm including myself in this, have become more like Pharaoh. We have become the very thing that God rescued the Israelites from. We have reduced the value of the human being to an equation of usefulness which which trumps all other claims to life liberty. We barely anymore believe in freedom or love or the dignity of the human person and instead we believe in efficiency, utility, and convenience. Instead of loving this actual living, breathing, embodied particular person that stands right in front of us, we now claim to love the abstracted yet empty esoteric category of humanity. Most often we now worship at the altar of what I believe a most insidious and dangerous idol, the greater good. But you cannot love a category or a species. You cannot love an idea or a concept. You can only love persons. Do you agree with that? So lastly, the virtue of the sixth word. We're going to skip some stuff, Amber. I'm just going to close with this. Later in Galatians, Paul will sum up everything um, that has to do with the law in this way. He'll say, through love serve one another, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So as I've tried to suggest this afternoon, this is the direction, the sixth word, hopes to take us. If we'd had time, I went way too long, we would have looked at 1 John chapter 3, it tells the story of Cain and Abel, talks about how we ought to love one another, how we ought to, if we love God, we ought to love our brother and not deny them when they are in need, that no one can say they love God and hate their brother. They are, that makes them a liar. They are not telling the truth. So Paul summarizes it this way, with the whole law is fulfilled in this one word, love. Because, answering hypothetical questions and tracing the nuances of lawful killing are only helpful insofar as they help us regard one another and our neighbor with greater degrees of love. Which begins, if it begins at all, at least by valuing their life, not merely by finding the boundaries of killing and permitted killing. And likewise, no matter how well we deal with all of our anger issues, If we don't recognize the inherent dignity and value of each and every human being, we may still fail to love them in the fullest sense, either through indifference, negligence, apathy, or exploitation. And so ultimately, I think this is where the sixth commandment, the sixth word, can bring us if we are willing. It has the capacity capacity to free us from our enslavement to hatred and murder to carry us through the desert of indifference and despair and return us to the promised land of life and love so that we might look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Close with these words by Jesus from John chapter 15. He says this to his disciples just before he would go to his death. As the Father has loved me so have I loved you. Abide in my love And of course, Jesus practiced what he preached. His love led him to a cross where his body was broken, where his relationship was severed, where his blood was poured out. Jesus called this the new covenant in his blood. So how do we keep the sixth commandment? How do we keep all the commandments for that matter? By allowing the life and the love of Jesus to animate our lives. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those Who live, might no longer live for themselves, but for him, for their sake died and was raised. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for this afternoon. And um, Lord, um, you've been with us, you've been with me. Been with the words that have been spoken and you've been with those that have heard them. And so, Lord, in any way in which anything um, said contradicted your heart or your way of living and the way in which you would have us live, Lord, I pray that, Lord, you would just multiply in abundance the fruit of all that is in accordance with your, with your character and that you would strike from the record anything that is not. Lord, I thank you for um, the reality that you value, you love, you honor, that you hold dear and precious human life. Lord, I pray that each one of us would recognize the gift, but also recognize, Lord, um, the gravity of life, that we might honor and respect it, care for it, in those relationships that are closest to us, in our families, in our homes. But Lord, that that care for life would extend to our neighbor, that we would be like the Samaritan on the road, who the passerby who sees the man struck down and cares for him. And we might see in all of these things, um, Lord, a keeping of the sixth command, to value, to care for, protect, and to not take life. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.